Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce to you a new friend. His name is Phil White. He's an Emmy-nominated writer and the co-author of Unplugged. Welcome, Phil. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, Unplugged, this is something we talk about a lot these days. Tell us a little more. Yeah, so um, really, Brian McKenzie has become a good friend over the past couple of years through our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett, who is uh, also one of my co-authors. And Brian and I have been just kicking around various subjects over the time that we've known each other. And one that just kept cropping up um, was this topic of fitness technology and having been the the guy for CrossFit Endurance for for many years and uh, now running uh, powerspeedendurance.com. Brian has uh, has seen this taken to the, the nth degree with regard to triathletes and other endurance folks for whom Strava becomes the be-all and end-all and all the other tools and gizmos. And so really, we got together with, with uh, another good friend, Dr. Andy Galpin, who's a muscle physiologist at Cal State Fullerton, and just tried to put some parameters around acceptable technology use um, within the realm of health and fitness. And then also some uh, some examples of where maybe sometimes it, it becomes just another layer of addiction and can actually blunt our connection to, to ourselves as the ultimate calibration tool, which uh, we believe resides within all of us. But sometimes the technology can maybe start to blunt that somewhat. Absolutely. So how did you get into this space? How did you find these people and they find you? Because clearly, you have a passion for different parts of this, and each of you brings something different to the table. What's your role and your passion there? Yeah, so really, my role in this, um, with all my co-authors is is to one of service, you know, I'm a big believer in in servant leadership. And I think that uh, each of us, um, I recently had a conversation with my friend Joel Einhorn, who runs the, the company HANA, who people may know from Jimmy Chin and Travis Rice and certain other folks like that, um, using their Ayurvedic cordyceps and uh, ashwagandha and some of these other uh, products. But uh, Joel was just saying that in any community he's been in, in the world and lived in, you know, he's he's from the Midwest originally, but he's lived uh Lived in Austria, he's lived in Costa Rica, has spent time recently um, in Bhutan and India where, where his company sources all their products. And he said, you know, to, to truly be a respected part of any community around the world, you have to have to contribute something and you have to be willing to serve. And that really struck a chord with me. So with this particular book, the way that I could serve both our readership and my co-authors, Andy and Brian, is to help strategize, kind of come up with a table of contents and then really start just interviewing them around that. And obviously there were, you know, we would zing research papers back and forth, um, both by email and text and, and uh, shared Evernote notebook. But uh, really, I, I, I think I can act as the conduit in that situation from the ideas that are in their head to what ends up on the page. And in doing so, as I said, can serve both those co-authors and hopefully readers as well. Well, having written my own books, I have to say that red thread that you're actually acting as, it sounds like, is really so critical and one of the most challenging parts of writing a book. 
you may have all kinds of great content, but getting it to really flow and come all together into something that that people can actually learn from, get a good story out of, and really benefit from is is a big challenge. So clearly, you have a gift that is needed for this very important topic. Yeah, and I think that it's something where you know we're starting to see just in the in the latest issue of Outside Magazine, which I think I'm subscribed to maybe through the end of my life. Uh, <laughs> it's um it, it's certainly one that one of the best magazines out there, and one of the reasons is um just a wide ranging topics, and they're, they're really unflinching in their kind of withering social commentary sometimes. And in the current issue, there's a big section on the unschooling slash rewilding movement in parenting and uh, having two kids myself, we haven't quite gone that far, but um, you know, last child in the woods and those kind of books have really, I think started to open people's eyes to the fact that maybe our education system isn't serving kids in the best possible way to prepare them to be the best that they can be. You know, I think sometimes it just um, forces us down this this road, the matrix, as Brian would say, you know, to become the next generation of office drones. And so how can we both encourage kids' creativity and also get them reconnected to the the world, the natural world around them and to take better care of the planet? And I think one way, the best way to do that is just to get them out in nature and allow that space for unstructured play. And so I, I don't think that just extends to kids, Heidi. I think that um, as adults, we, we sometimes become too concerned at looking bad or or incompetent when we're learning new skills and so we just fearfully stick to the things that we uh we're good at and stop exploring and stop stop getting out there and you know just discovering what uh stepping outside our front door as jr Tolkien once wrote uh might lead to you know we might surprise ourselves if we just get out in nature more and and allow ourselves a little less structure and a little more exploration Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And I think that for me, uh, you know, you're saying that it's not just for children. As I emerge on 50 myself this year, I've sort of embraced the whole concept of silliness and just embracing my wild side, if you will, in trying to spend more time getting in touch with sort of nature and who I am as an individual when I'm out in nature. And But what I've also found that's been a great tool, coming back to the technology piece, is finding those great places and finding different ways to connect with other people who have similar thoughts around wilding and just being out in nature and being an authentic self in that space. So I totally agree with you. I think, you know, adults need it as much as children, if not more, because we get so caught up in the systems that drive us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we get, we also run the the risk of starting to live our lives on a Henry Ford assembly line model of efficiency, of trying to cram in more and more and more to each day. And there's always one more thing, right? Or, you know, these listicle stories, um, various websites, you know, whether they be clickbait or, or there's some valid content in those, you know, it's always five ways to do this or three more things you absolutely must do in this area of your life. And and I think, you know, that goes for scheduling our kids as well. And like this, as uh, my friend Chris Bell um, covered in his HBO documentary, Trophy Kids, you know, the worst of human behavior seems to be exhibited in some of these sports parents who just live out their, their sporting failures through their kids and pressure them that way and, and just overschedule them and everything. But we do, that's just an overflow of what we're doing to ourselves. You know, we're not allowing 
any space to be because we're too concerned with filling our calendars with doing. And so in this race for more, 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 we're actually achieving less, less, less in some ways when it comes to actually just uh, enjoying each other and being fully present in in deep and long conversations. And I really think that that's partly the, the revenge of long form, as I think I was recently discussed on Joe Rogan's podcast uh, with Jordan Peterson. The reason for that, the reason that people are still buying books, hopefully, and uh, are reading longer articles, and indeed, as we're doing today, taking part in and also listening to longer podcasts is there's an absence of uh, of longer in-depth communication in which both uh, parties are present in the conversation. And I think that's why even some of the longer podcasts have such a huge audience is, you know, that sure, the hosts are great and the guests are interesting, but it's the conversation that we're yearning. And, you know, we start living at this efficiency model of trying to cram more and more and more and optimizing quotes every second of every day. We crowd out those kind of interactions and uh, the friendships and uh, new relationships that they can uh, they, that can flourish within those if we allow them to. But we need to give ourselves a bit more white space, a bit more dead space. Absolutely. And I think that it's fascinating to see the different ways that that plays out, whether it's in the workspace or whether it's in school or the unstructured school or just in living in the way that we manage our families and our lives. Now, in the Unplugged, which is, I guess, one of your more recent books, you told me actually in the green room that you've got another one just coming out. So you've got a lot of things coming in the queue. I want to even touch a little bit on your 17-hour fast. I just noticed that because that's something that I've been trying recently. But Unplugged, was there anything in particular that really stuck out for you as like, you know, besides just getting out in nature and communicating with others? For the audience, is there any real sort of findings or or ideas that can help trigger getting us into that space that you're talking about where we're really being rather than doing do you have any suggestions there yeah i think one of the stories that resonated most with me actually came from from laird hamilton the uh pioneering big wave surfer and Mm -hmm. water man and laird tells the story of when he was actually he had traded the the surf for the snow for a little bit in the winter and uh, was going was snowboarding with some friends and a friend was about to drop in on a run on his snowboard and led just felt a disturbance in the force. I guess we could say for Star Wars fans, right? They, they <laughs> just recognized there was something wrong, kind of a sixth sense type of thing and grabbed his friend's collar, jacket collar and pulled him backwards. And um, a few seconds later, this avalanche came through and wiped out the exact spot where the friend was about to drop in. And that was just, you know, a result of Laird being out in the water almost every day and when he's on land being really in tune with his environment. And I think that um, you don't have to go out to Piahi when it's breaking at 60, 70, 80 feet to be able to start to cultivate that, those kind of instincts. Now, while that is kind of an outlier or a dramatic example, it does go to show that the human body is sometimes in touch with things beyond what it just hears or sees. And I think that sometimes we we create so much noise and we also lose touch with the, the kind of almost spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude. And even um, after Unplugged was published, that, that kind of idea um, propagated in my mind a bit more with uh, the Norwegian explorer Erling Kagg wrote a wonderful book called Silence in the Age of Noise. And it's one of the shortest books I've ever read and one of the most profound. And here's a guy that um, has spent day after day on unsupported trips through the Arctic and Antarctic as an explorer and has really come to reckon with 
silence and solitude and the, the profound impact that can have on our lives. So I think, like anything else, we're not going to eliminate noise, and that isn't Kang's point in this book. And in Unplugged, we're not trying to say that all technology is bad, but really what I think it comes down to, Heidi, is boundary issues that we have, um, and specifically not establishing and reinforcing proper boundaries and putting things in their correct place in our lives. And so really just through the writing of Unplugged with Brian and Andy and then this further reading and just continued exploration, that's one of the things I've come to see is these things, these paradoxes between noise on one hand and silence and solitude on the other, between being plugged in and being unplugged, you know, and and also the paradox even within being connected all the time and yet in some ways being profoundly disconnected then from the people immediately around us. Absolutely. And I'm right with you because I think one of the most important pieces that I teach when I'm working with executives is the sort of digital life balance piece, which is really about boundaries. I mean, there's sort of two main pieces. One is self-awareness and the other piece is boundaries. Those two things are so critical for getting to a place where you can really be present in the moment and be the most effective and be the most the best you can be in whatever environment that is, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in out in on the mountain where you're saving your friend from triggering an avalanche. All of those things require really understanding, getting to that place where you have enough quiet that you can really be aware of what's going on around you. That's a really important point, that boundary piece. I know you do a lot of hiking and paddleboarding and, and of course, a lot of writing, What's your favorite thing when you're fully unplugged to really connect? You know, I think two things really. One, selfish, which is, as you mentioned, stand-up paddle boarding. So even tonight, I'm hoping I can, uh, my wife and I are able to get through uh, some edits to to another project, secret, well, fairly secret project that Kelly Storrett and I are finishing up um, our second book together. Um, Then maybe, yeah, I'll reward myself with going out on the lake for an hour. And again, it's... um, not proficient enough and the environment isn't in quotes extreme enough for me to bother GoProing anything in that realm. And so I just, you know, I just go out and um, the only thing I have with, with me is my car keys, which are double bagged and in sandwich bags in my pocket. And uh, in case I drop them in the lake and I'll fall in. And so other than that, I don't have any baggage with me, I suppose you could say. And then other than that, just getting the kids up in the trees, you know, right from kids will go up and um, will walk and then maybe play wiffle ball with uh, the boys um, who are nine and 11. Um, my oldest is just going into middle school and yeah, that's just a short little hike up. And then we're just, you know, in the trees and in the summer when the, the light's really shining on those trees, they have almost a peppery vanilla smell and just trying to be aware of that, being aware of the bird song and, you know, just, leaving my phone at home that's uh, and sometimes we'll go up there by ourselves or sometimes meet up with other family friends and just uh just really enjoy our time up there and so yeah just um, exactly what you mentioned either paddle boarding or uh, or indeed just short non-demanding hikes yeah and you're so fortunate to be in such a beautiful area i believe you're in colorado which is actually where i did my university time so very mm. familiar with the area and uh, i used to do a lot of rock climbing out there I haven't done that in a long time, at least the rock climbing piece. I'm curious, are are you aware of any new technologies that are used in that space to whether it's for performance measurement or whether it's for safety? Are there other things that people are using now that can really support our ability to 
you know, get out into the woods and get out onto the mountain in a different way, because I, you're probably right in the thick of it in a different way that some of us, you know, maybe a little more intimidated to go out and do that without it. You mentioned yeah. Strava before. That's sure. one that people do. I, I mean, I think for us, it's a little more tame, you know, and particularly as the kids aren't, um, although I did interview Kit Delorius, who is the only I think the only woman to complete, the first woman to complete the seven summits and also ski down from each of them. And she took her kids uh, over and they, they hiked, I think, up to Camp 2 on Everest. And they're not much older than my kids. And it was their idea, by the way, not their parents' idea. So wow. I was like, wow, that kind of opened my eyes to what's possible. But yeah, we're not that hardcore. Um, and so it, what we're doing is pretty tame. But I think if, you know, obviously common sense needs to be a part of this. So it's, you know, if, if you need to be can, need to be able to contact the outside world, if you're going deep into the back back country, then to bring a beacon or to bring something like a Garmin InReach, and obviously um, the InReach you can preload with trail maps and all that kind of thing too. So I think if you're in an unfamiliar area, that might help ward off some potential problems. So again, it's not saying you you need to go completely unplugged, and we need to all revert to being. Luddites or go back to how it was in the days of the pioneers or anything, but it's just about appropriate use. And I mean, to me, using one of those devices is a lot different than the person that has their headphones in while they're on a forest trail and almost runs into me because <laughs> not only are their ears blocked, but they're looking down at their heart rate monitor on their wrist about every two and a half seconds and they're just not aware of other people around them, you know, the streams bubbling below, they can't hear it because of the headphones. They've almost kinesthetically dampened that awareness of, of their footfalls and what's going on around them. And then maybe that's, you know, to Brian McKenzie's point, that's also amplified by these ultra thick soles that have been kind of a rebound against the barefoot running movement, I think. And so uh, it, there are so many things we use in this world to deaden our senses to the things around us or to buffer things that we view as unpleasant. But I um, mean, you know, in this case, ground contact, but also, you know, temperature controlled homes and cars and everything else that um, sometimes as Scott, my friend, Scott Carney, who's down in Denver, you may know who wrote the book, What Doesn't Kill Us. His point is that we've got too comfortable with being comfortable and uh, both physiologically and I think spiritually to some degree that's um, created some problems for us that maybe we didn't anticipate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the barefoot may be a little extreme for me, but I I do really appreciate uh, when I get to a place where I can feel the ground. There's something very powerful about actually making contact with the ground and understanding how you're interacting with it. I've seen plenty of people out here where I am in uh, the Marin Headlands where they're hiking along and they're you know really not in nature at all. They've got, you know, they're in a whole nother world listening to something and they're, they're not really even noticing the beautiful view around them. So if we can find that balance there, again, it's boundaries of where it complements and adds and adds and enhances your experience rather than becoming the experience is something that's really, really important. I want to do a, a quick shift. As I mentioned before, I'm curious about your the 17-hour fast book that you did, because this is something that has become really popular recently. And it was sort of brought to my attention, actually, by my son, who is an avid podcast listener and said, you guys need to do this 17-hour, actually, he was saying 16-hour fast. I think there's a lots of different versions of it. Where does this come in with your work? I guess it was with uh, Dr. Frank Merritt that, that you worked on this book. 
Is that something that you integrate into your lifestyle already? Or is that something that came from working with him? Yeah, it came from working with him, really. And anyone that's read Unplugged will be familiar with his name as him and Brian McKenzie are longtime friends and uh, really came out of that. And um, yeah, the thing that interested me about Frank's story was that uh, it came out of a good place because I think too many of these dieting or supplement or clean, you know, uh, or sorry, or fasting or cleanse books come, come out from a, a not pure motive to sell a line of supplements, you know, or to sell people services. And the book is just a box check that some marketing consultant has come up with for, for people. And I think we've probably both read books like that, where you're like, hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder what's really going on here, you know, or <laughs> it seems a little too slick. Whereas in contrast, what, what happened with Frank is that his best friend, Jason, was unfortunately diagnosed with the most aggressive form of brain cancer and was given no more than six months to live. Oof. And that didn't sit too well with Frank. And so he got a, a, a kind of cross-disciplinary team at the hospital of every ologist you can think of, really. And um, they came together and developed a series of protocols for Jason to, to help him not just live longer, but live with some vitality as well. And uh, Jason actually ended up living over seven years past that diagnosis. Wow. Um, at which point he um, had had two kids with his wife, which, you know, obviously when people are going through aggressive cancer treatment, fertility is a, is a big issue there. And the doctors had said, well, you're probably not going to be able to have kids. And uh, and he was also able to practice law up until the end. And uh, right before he died, Jason looked at Frank and said, you've got to promise that you will take what you've used to help me to, to help others. And uh, even though eventually the cancer came back hard and he succumbed to it, that really this book was a manifestation of, of Frank keeping his promise to, to Jason and um, really introducing this kind of minimum effective dose of just doing one 17 hour fast per week, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, that w- what you alluded to is probably the, uh, the 16, eight kind of intermittent fasting, which um, is something I pretty much, follow or at least maybe a a, a 14 hour version um, mm-hmm. most days and um, so I think there's a lot of validity to the 16-8 but I think that for some people maybe saying oh you should start fasting daily is intimidating to them or maybe they've been exposed to a fasting method where it's like a training plan where you you know, start with 12 hours go to 24 then 36 then 48 and it's this thing where it just becomes really arduous. And I think a lot of people have had a bad experience with that. And so really this is just kind of an on-ramp where you you can get some of the benefits of a longer fast by not only fasting for 17 hours, but by kind of tapering these pre and post meals down in terms of uh, cutting down your calories and also cutting down the percentage of carbs. And um, really you're going to get to the point where you turn on some of the physiological benefits like autophagy which is a fancy way of saying kind of clearing out of dead cell matter and some of the other things in the body that become dormant um and so really we're not saying that this is any better necessarily than 16a or the warrior diet or any of these other approaches but again what, what is the minimum effective dose in any of these things that that um that we can use to as you say be to enhance our lives not detract from them mm-hmm I obviously need to read the full book because it sounds like a fascinating story and certainly beneficial for any of us who are trying to manage our health and, you know, and vitality in life. So it sounds actually quite interesting. I look forward to reading that. And uh, you mentioned to me that you have something new in the pipeline that's about to launch. You want to share a little bit about that one? 
Sure. Well, thank you. As I mentioned earlier, so my connection with Brian McKenzie and uh, Andy Galpin came through Dr. Kelly Starrett, who a lot of people will know as the, the author of the book Becoming a Supple Leopard, and then also Deskbound was really influential in kind of advancing the need to, for people to stop sitting all, all day, you know, and to stand and move more throughout the day. And then also Ready to Run, um, his, his other book with TJ Murphy. And so Kelly and I got together probably six or seven years ago now where I had buggered up my back deadlifting and was really looking for a non-surgical and non-opiate way to fix myself. And I came across his mobility wad videos on YouTube and tried them for a few weeks. And it was like just incredible. Like at that point, it was so bad that I was locked down to the point of being bent sideways, you know, because that whole side had just locked down that much. And and I had nerve pain all the way down my leg and just thought I, I'm never going to be pain-free again. And so it was really a first-hand experience with his methods that led me to um, email him and his wife, Juliet, and say, hey, Ke- you know, would Kelly be willing to do an interview for Suck the Mag, which is um, a magazine I've written for pretty much since its inception, this kind of the sister publication to Canoe and Kayak and Surfer magazine. And so, thankfully, they uh, they replied, yeah, sure, we can do that here a couple of open times. And so, interviewed Kelly, and he kindly did a video for us as well. And then, from there, we just kept in touch. And at this point, he was already planning his book ready to run with, with as I said, TJ Murphy, who's another fantastic writer. You, you know, we got to the point where we thought, well... Two things. One, the, the paddling community, you know, paddlers, surfers, and rowers could really use a book like this because there's nothing out there like it. And then secondarily, a lot of people don't know Kelly's background is actually he was on the whitewater um, slalom canoe team, national team back in the day. And one day his hand went numb, which probably isn't good, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, suddenly your hand just randomly goes numb one day. And so he went to his head coach and, and told him and the coach said, well, you know, we're, we're paddling 300 days a year. You know, it's just kind of what happens, you know, it's probably a neck or a shoulder issue, you know, just go get surgery and come back when you're ready. Oh gosh. And, and so Kelly, that didn't sit too well with him. And so Kelly said, well, you know, what, what do you mean? It's just what happens. And um, so really he set off on this quest to fix himself and, uh, and did, and, you know, that led him to, uh, to physical therapy school and uh, all the other education he did. Then really, he just from that point had a mission to, to use what he had learned in fixing himself to help fix other people. And so, yeah, really, this book is, is partly telling Kelly's origin story in, in this health and wellness space. And um, it's partly kind of his love letter to paddling. And then it's also something where we were able to bring in everyone from Laird Hamilton, who I mentioned earlier, and who wrote the forward for this book, to Kai Lenny and Emily Jackson Trankman and 35 of the world's best watermen and women who kind of share some of their tips and tricks. And then it also combines that with Kelly's mobility board system through the lens of paddling, surfing, and rowing. So, yeah, really stoked to get this out and just the first of, uh, of many that we're working on together now. That sounds great. I'm certainly not at the level that you guys are at, but it's interesting. I'm listening to your story, and I've suffered from a lot of similar issues over the years, triggered from an injury when I was actually 13 that got aggravated as I've gotten older. And actually, just before our interview, I just came back from uh, aqua physical therapy doing some work on it. So I'm looking forward to reading your book so that I can get back to paddleboarding because that's something I'm passionate about as well. 
it's definitely a huge issue. The whole thing with uh, managing chronic pain and uh, getting our alignment back in our bodies when we do sports that are quite tough on our bodies. I think that sounds like a, a very valuable book for those of us out there that want to keep active and uh, take care of our bodies at the same time. So, you know, opiates is a is a really big problem in the U.S. as we know, and probably elsewhere, but particularly bad here. So if we can uh, encourage people to find alternative methods for managing things like that and avoiding them in the first place, that's a wonderful thing. And while we're at it, actually, then you sort of led that in perfectly. So I don't even know how that happened. But our sponsor today is actually OSCA, which is a handheld PEMF pulse alignment electromagnetic frequency device that uh, you can use for managing chronic pain. So it's a wonderful device. We have links on our webpage and on the show notes for those that are interested in trying it. It's a great device. I've been using it for mine and it keeps me from having to take pain medication. So I think it's been a wonderful tool for a lot of people. And hopefully we'll see more and more of these kinds of things coming out that will help people uh, combined with different activities and exercises. So for those of you listening that are not familiar with the OSCA, go ahead and check out the show notes and buy buying from our link, you will actually support the show. So just wanted to put that little plug in there for them because they've been nice enough to sponsor today's show. So back to Phil, you've got a lot of great stuff in the queue. And we're going to make sure we put all of your links for those of you who are interested in Phil's books, you can also go to philwhitebooks.com. But I believe if you go to are most of your books available on Amazon or where's the best resource for finding your books? Yeah, they sure are. And we uh, we actually ended up self-publishing Waterman 2.0, Kelly and I. And so that's definitely the best place for it. But obviously, we want to support local bookstores as well. So if you uh, if you inquire at your local bookstore, if you still have such a thing, hopefully, then um, they'll probably be able to order any and all of them in, I would imagine. But yeah, for, particularly for those um, who are self-published, which uh, also applies to the 17-hour fast, that is available exclusively on Amazon. So yeah, check it out. Are they available as audiobooks as well? Or are they at this we point? We haven't of- done audio v- versions of any of these yet. And much to our reader's chagrin, especially with Unplugged, we hear pretty often that um, we want that. But it's, yeah, really just an issue of time commitments because um, a- Andy Galpin is busy, as he says, doing science and mm-hmm. uh, has, a, has a new baby in the house as well. And, um, and Brian's traveling all over the place uh, leading his art of breath seminars and um, coaching close to the home as well. And obviously I'm doing a little writing, so (laughs) we haven't got around to it yet, but I think it would be something that would be fun to do in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've got a great voice for it as well. So, you know, hopefully we can get that audiobook out sometime soon. I love listening to audiobooks when I drive. It's one of my favorite things, that and podcasts. So let me know when it goes audio. But in the meantime, I also love paper books. There's something really nice about that uh, tactile effect. And and of course, supporting our local bookstores, which we want to keep those active and alive because it's a wonderful place to spend some time and bring your children for a little being experience rather than doing. So this has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I wonder if you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share with our audience. Um Anything? Yeah, yeah. I think just, you know, as we mentioned a little bit, just on the being versus doing, you know, and this is something I struggle with because there are a lot of good projects that come my way and all of them are justifiable. And it's something that I have by no means uh, perfected or close to where 
just try when you say uh, say yes to something, it means you you have to say no to other things. And so that's something that um, my good lady wife who's my in house editor for every word that comes comes out, um, whether it be book length or shorter projects. You know, um, that's kind of the writing editing team. And so yeah, really, that's just something where we're trying. I'm trying to do better, more of practicing what I preach on that. But I think that. Again, it just really something that we covered earlier is there are just so many boundary issues today, particularly with technology and the world getting smaller and that um, sometimes we just need to do what the snowboarder Mark Carter told me recently and just get back to the dirt hmm. and just go places where we don't have a signal. And again, to, to reverse the paradox that you know we're, we're so often connected to, to technology, which is great in the sense that, uh, you know, for me, Practically, it allows you to research. It allows us to disseminate these books and these ideas. But we also need to make sure that we're not doing that at the expense of being truly connected face-to-face with those around us. And so, yeah, I just encourage people to to maybe take a look at some of those things in their own life, whether it be, you know, the relationship of food, you know, through the lens of the 17-hour fast, because that's really a boundaries book. It's not a fasting book. And then again, the same applies to to unplugged. And then really the work with Kelly is just saying, look, if you, as a, a fully functional human, here are just some baseline standards that you should be able to hit. Like you don't need to be a Lad Hamilton or a Kyle Lenny or any of the other big names we feature in here because your body is essentially the same. They just happen to have better genetics and coaching and opportunity that, than you or I do. And so really just if you spend 10 minutes a day, every day, doing a little bit of preemptive mobility work and also correctional work, then that will, um, that will benefit you. And, and I think that, you, you know, just through, through Kelly's lens of, of looking at movement quality, not just quantity, because again, with regard to boundaries, I think we get in this trap of, of complexity with fitness and also of doing more reps, more sets, more weight, more miles, and often it just goes way too far till it becomes detrimental to our health. So really just, Again, looking at each area of your life, trying to find balance and really getting back to the core of, of the human experience, which, which is just our uh, our relationship with natural world, the creation around us and, and not thinking that we're the only thing. And then also just our relationships with each other, which, uh, you know, Facebook and all the other online methods are great for keeping in touch with family far and wide. But um, at the same time, you can't do that if you're using that time to neglect the relationships that are directly around you. Absolutely. Great closing words. And I think that's whether it's the relationship with nature or relationship with ourselves, the relationship with people around us, those are important things for us to keep in mind when we are building our boundaries and really figuring out what we want to do with our time and the quality of our life. Thank you so much for joining us today, Phil. This has been really a treat to uh, to learn more about your work. And thank you for sharing it with our digital selfers today. And for those of you who enjoyed today's show, please take some time to subscribe so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We've enjoyed having you here today with us. And we look forward to next time. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. 
Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm.